Good morning, church. How y'all doing this morning? Doing great. So uh, I'm going to have you go ahead and y'all stand up on your feet, greet some people around you. And once you do that, I'm going to talk to y'all for a second. So church, uh, a little while back this year, we taught you all a song at a worship night uh, that we do a lot in our student ministry. And uh, I really think that this morning, uh, God's going to use this song to kind of speak some truth over us today. So I'm going to reteach you all the chorus. So I'm going to sing it a couple times and you guys can sing along with me after that. Cause you're the God who fights for me, Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. Cause you have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, hallelujah. Come on. Cause you're the God who fights for me. Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. As you have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, forget the wonder of how you brought deliverance to the exodus of my heart because you found me you freed me held back the waters from my release oh Yahweh because you're the God who fights for me Lord of every victory, hallelujah, hallelujah. You have torn apart the sea, you have led me through the deep, hallelujah, Cloud by day is a sign that you are with me. The fire by night is a guiding light to my feet. You found me, cause you found me. You freed me, held back the waters from my release. Oh,
and sing this out. You stepped in. Oh, cause you stepped into my Egypt. You took me by the hand. You marched me out in freedom. Saturday was silent, surely it was through. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? Friday's disappointment, Sunday's empty tomb. Since when has impossible ever stopped you? This is the sound of dry bones rattling. This is a praise, make a dead man walk again. Open the grave, I'm coming out. I'm gonna live, gonna live again. This is the sound of dry bones rattling.
after Bobby does a communion. Rumor has it this guy's got his own documentary on Discovery and History Channel. Last week, he actually went to a birthday party and did communion. That's how good he does a communion. And they're like, hey, you got to follow that up. So yesterday, he's playing with Elliot, our eight-year-old. Have Thor's hammer. He has something else. And man, it hits me. It's like, I'm going to get Bobby this week. Because to carry Thor's hammer, there's only a handful who are worthy. Thor himself, Vision, Captain America, and Broski Dad. That's what Elliot calls me when I'm carrying this bad boy. And it hit me, man. It hit me like a hammer. We are not worthy of communion. I'll set this down because no one else can pick it up, so it's not going anywhere. But we say that, man, we're not worthy. We didn't do enough to receive. There's nothing we could do to to pay back. And we say these things, but do we actually stop and think about that? We are not worthy of communion. We're not worthy of the sacrifice that makes communion even exist. Only a handful can pick up Thor's hammer. But the gift of everlasting life, the ability to be able to participate in communion is offered to every single human being, not just the people in this room, not the people who have already followed Jesus, but every single person out there has the opportunity to follow Jesus and to partake in communion. Because once again, though, not of our own doing, but of the doing of Jesus Christ on a cross and not just the cross, but three days later coming out of that grave. So today, as we take communion, you do offerings and tithes Man, just sit there for a moment. Sit in the stillness. And think about, God, what did you see in me? 
What makes me worthy? Not to pick up a hammer, but to partake in something that you want us to remember the sacrifice of your son. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the day. We thank you through all the mess and mistakes and imperfections and defects. You find us worthy. Worthy to see your son to be wrapped around in human skin and human pain and human suffering for us. Not so we can just pick up a hammer and make a joke and laugh, but to come into stillness and see that everything around us says we are not worthy except you. You say, yes, you are. You're worth my love. You're worth forgiveness. You're worth saving. May these not just be words. May they not just be emotions. May they be something that we look upon and we reflect and we feel the weight of as we go in this time of communion. All these things we ask in your name we pray. Amen.
He's worthy.
Shelby Christian. My name is Luke Dove. I'm a Together Partner here in Guatemala with the Catarino Ministry. I just wanted to share with you guys an opportunity that we have to partner with us over these next couple of weeks. Here at the Catarino Ministry, we serve about 200 students. Most of our kids come from difficult backgrounds, whether it be extreme poverty, broken family life, or a lack of access to resources. Because of that, most of our students don't even eat every day if it weren't for what we do here. And so what we want to do this Christmas is provide a gift for them. Out in the lobby or on social media, you'll find the list of items we're asking you to buy, as well as the instructions on how to prepare it. Over the next few weeks, we'll be collecting these items in the lobby so that we can ship them down here in time for them to arrive before Christmas. We're also asking you to put in your personal information so that the kids can write you a thank you letter, as well as $10 to help us cover the cost of shipping. If you have any questions, feel free to reach out to me or Jason Haggard. Thank you guys so much for your continued partnership with the ministry and for the impact your support is making in the lives of kids every day. I hope that you'll consider partnering with us to provide a Christmas for our students. Well, good morning. Um, as you saw, that was Luke Dove. Some of you guys will recognize him, remember him from uh, growing up here in our, in our ministry and his family. One of our partners, together partners, like he said, in Guatemala. And so uh, the bags that he was referencing are right here. They're um, around the room at the communion tables. There's some in the back at the sign-up table. If you guys would this morning as you leave, grab one of these. It's basically the same process uh, that we go through with the, opera or, yeah, the uh, Operation Christmas Child boxes. Uh, there's a list in here of, of um, appropriate gifts and items that you can put in these bags. We'll collect these over the next three weeks. They need to be back by October the 10th. And then we're going to take them down to Knoxville, Tennessee to hook up with another guy who's going to then ship them on to Guatemala so that they can get there and be ready for Christmas. So uh, if you guys would uh, just be partners with us as we partner with them. They have a goal. They have 200 uh, kids in their uh, local ministry there, the school and the orphanage. Uh, there's another 150-so kids in the community that they minister to and that they estimate that there's about 600 kids or more that they could get these bags to this Christmas. So just a simple gift from them to just tell them how much Jesus loves them and what he's done for them. And it opens up some opportunities for them with those families and those kids to share the gospel message. So if you guys would partner with us in doing that, like I said, the bags are all around the room. There's some in the back uh, this morning. Grab one of those, take it, uh, go, go shopping. To fill that little bag, you're probably going to spend 10, 15 bucks at the most. And then if you, if you guys want to donate to help us kind of get that stuff then shipped to them, uh, the $10 will go for shipping and those kind of things, getting it across the border. And then also they want to do a Christmas party for the kids as well. So part of that will go with that as well. So I wanted to let you guys know about that. That's something you'll be hearing us kind of talk about the next three weeks or so. So thank you for, for that. Let me ask you a question this morning. Have you, ever, have you ever looked back at a situation like a very maybe difficult time in your life or a, a troubled, you know, 
set of circumstances and go, well, man, if, if, if only I could go back and, and change the things that I said or maybe something you did in that moment. If I knew now, you know, if I knew then what I know now, right, kind of scenario. Have you ever looked at a situation and thought, where, where did I go wrong? in this what mistake did i make looking back at something going where did we go wrong where did i go wrong well that's the that's the question that we kind of look at this morning and think about when we look at this story we're going to look at in genesis chapter three we're in the in the second week of epic this story of genesis and looking through just how how god created it all i was thinking this week and in the last few weeks no i grew up May a lot of you guys grew up, especially in, in this service. You grew up, and when you heard the Genesis account, the Genesis story, you just, you heard it as a kid. You did the little coloring sheets, right? You did all the stuff. You remember all the pictures. You remember all those things. And you just kind of like, when you heard your Sunday school teacher give you this story, tell you this story for the first time, it was like, wow, this is really cool. This is what God did. And, and maybe you grew up and thought, well, that's what everybody thinks about the way the world started, right? This is what everybody just assumes. It was Adam and Eve, and it was this talking snake in the garden. Yeah, everybody believes that, right? It wasn't until I got to be an adult and I realized, you know what? There are people that, that think that, like, they look at this story, they look at this narrative, they, they read this account, or they hear about it, and they go, how in the world could you believe that? And I'm thinking, I thought everybody believed this, Right? Maybe you're in that situation, too. and then you get as an adult, you start going, okay, well, I could see that you could question this. You, 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 you're telling me you find it hard to believe that this snake was talking to this lady in this garden? Okay, I can see how you could question that, right? And so when we study the book of Genesis, here's what I want you to understand this morning, is that we can look at it, and we can come to different conclusions because we have different perspectives on the story, right? There, there's a, it, it, is, it is a fact that two Christians, two people that are following the Lord and love Jesus can read this and come up with different conclusions about this. I really believe that. And so what we have to kind of just say right out front and open and say, you know what? We're going to look at this and read this and study and hopefully maybe you're restudying or re-looking into it and, and, and looking at other things and thinking, hey, how does this all fit together? God, help make this make sense in my mind this morning. Because for, for years, for thousands of years, theologians and scientists have argued over the book of Genesis. For, for thousands of years, people have, have, hundreds of years really, we've looked at it, we've read it, we've read these words, and we've come up with, oh, there's answers to some of our questions. But then what happens is we read it and we go, now that I've read it, I've got a lot more questions, God, right? Are you like me when you read it? Like, I got, I, I've got, okay, that answers this. Like, in the beginning, God, Dave talked about that last week. I understand that. I believe that. And so it makes a lot of the rest of it a lot easier to believe when you just say, right from the get-go, in the beginning, God, anything that comes after that is believable once you say, all right, God, you were there. Don't know how you got there. Don't know, I, I, but I believe you were there in the beginning and you created this, all of this, right? But then these questions come. And we could spend years studying this subject. We don't have time in the, the few short sermons that we have in this series important and cover all the important issues. But here's what I want you to understand. Like I said, there are two, two different followers of Jesus could easily interpret Genesis with different viewpoints. I love this, um, this quote by a guy named 
Hugh Ross. He was, wrote this book, Creation and Time. And Bobby gave me this book a couple weeks ago. I've been reading a little bit of it and kind of just trying to wrap my brain around some stuff that I've always had questions about. And, and you guys maybe have read some of this and know this. There's, there's this debate. There's debates about a lot of stuff that we read in Genesis. But there's one that's always been, all right, the, the, the 24-hour days, the six days that God created. Was it a literal 24 hours? Or was that like, you know, a, a day is like a thousand years to God. Like, could it, could it have taken more time than that? Was it a literal thing? And, and so there's these arguments, there's these discussions, there's these things that theologians and scientists go back and forth on. And you, uh, uh, Ross, wrote this in his book, Creation and Time. He said this, talking specifically about that debate of, of, of time and a six-day six creation timeline, those kind of things. He said this, for the most part, the early church leaders expressed their views tentatively. There is no indication that they sharply debated the issue. Instead, they seem to have been tolerant of diverse views. I wish their example had been followed through the centuries, he says. Obviously, it hasn't been. When, where, and how did diversity degenerate to deadly division and discord? You see, when we choose to read and study the book of Genesis, we should do so with an open mind. And we should do so with allowing the Holy Spirit to lead us and to guide us when we read it in our thoughts and with our questions. And so this morning, I want to jump in to Genesis chapter 3, but let's be reminded of what Genesis 1 and 2 tell us. It says in, one, in Genesis 1 and 2 that we learn that God created the world, that he created human beings, both male and female. And the Bible says, Moses wrote these words, in his image, that God created man and female in his image. We also learn that God gave Adam and Eve a good world to take care of. He created it all, and he said it was good. He gave it to humanity. And he said, this is good. This is for you. I've created this for you. But most of all, God gave himself to the first people in relationship and fellowship. I love this picture. We're going to read a little bit about it today in Genesis chapter 3. But I love the idea that you see in the early chapters of Genesis where when God creates Adam and Eve, there's this opportunity that God takes after he's created them, and he spends time with them. And the cool evening breeze, the Bible indicates that God would come and he would walk with Adam and Eve in the cool breeze of the evening in the garden. And I can just picture in my mind Adam and Eve walking and talking with God, right? This understanding that God created them, and the thing that he wanted most is to have a relationship, an intimate relationship with his creation, with, with Adam and Eve. That's his desire. That was his desire in the beginning, and that's his desire with us as well. And I just like to imagine that relationship and what it must have been like. Because in the beginning, it was this perfect relationship. In this perfect world, that this Garden of Eden, this utopia that God created... Adam and Eve. And, and it was this gift that he gave them and said, I love you this much. And hey, I'm gonna, I want to come and I want to experience it with you. L let's meet up. And so every evening, you know, when the, when the, when the sun starts to, to go down, let's, let's meet here and let's just walk and let's just talk. And, and you just tell me about your day. And I'll tell you about some of the things that are going on up there, right? And I love that picture of, of this intimate, close relationship 
that Adam and Eve had with the Lord. And God, as he's talking to Adam in chapter 2, you guys will remember this, chapter 2, he says, there's going to be one rule in the garden. There's only going to be one rule, right? We're going to have a great time. And if you'll just follow this one rule, right? If you'll just understand this one rule, if, if you'll just do this one thing, everything else is going to go great. We're going to continue on in this incredible relationship. And here's what the rule was. Genesis 2, 16 and 17. The Lord warned Adam. He said this. You may freely eat the fruit of every tree in the garden. Right? You guys remember this. Except the tree of knowledge of good and evil. But if you eat its fruit, you are surely to die. And that's it. That's the one rule that has this stark, incredibly dark, consequences but it's one rule that god gives adam he says you you have you have free reign over it all this is yours i created for you enjoy enjoy all of it have a blast there's one rule don't touch that tree don't eat from that one tree and everything will be fine now here's what god could have said god could have looked at adam and said hey adam if you eat from this tree, it's going to go bad. Like the world is going to start to crash in on you. If you eat from this tree, you're going to introduce death and disease and dying and war and calamity and everything. And, and people are going to start murder. You're going to introduce it all. Your kids are going to kill one another. You're going to die of diseases. You're going to get old. Like it's going to be hard. It's going to be painful. It's going to like the world is going to start to decay and die. If you eat from that tree, you're going to all that stuff's going to happen. And if he would have told Adam that, you know, Adam would probably whoa, that, that sounds really bad. I think I will stay away from that. But that's not what he did. He just simply said, there's one rule. And you have to trust me. You have to trust my words. You have to trust that I'm good enough, that I'm worthy enough, that I'm holy enough, that, that I know more than you know about this world that I created. And if you'll just trust me, Things will go fine. God could have given Adam and Eve all the details. And they maybe have made a different choice in that situation. But they wouldn't have been obeying from a heart that trusted God, right? They would have been obeying from a heart that was like, whoa, the consequences of that seem really bad. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stay away from that. God, you explained all that really well. And that seems really, really bad. And so... Maybe God was teaching them something and not giving them all the details. Maybe what God was saying was, you know, you're, you're going to need to have this childlike faith. You're going to have to just trust me. You ever looked at your kids in a situation and said, I, I can't share with you every, everything I know right now because you're not mature enough to understand everything that I know as an adult. But in this situation, I'm going to say no, I'm going to put some boundaries in place, I'm going to put some rules in place, and you're going to just have to trust me. You ever looked at your kids and, and said that or had a conversation like that? And they look at you and go, no, I want to know, tell me everything. And in your heart, you're, you know they're not mature enough to handle everything in, a, in that situation. That's what I picture God in, in Adam's conversation here. Like, you're, you're just going to have to trust me. In this situation. Maybe God, God wanted their obedience to be rooted not in the, the risk or the logic of the situation. But in a childlike faith and a love specifically for him. And maybe, just maybe, that's exactly what he wants for us today. 
God wants us to have hearts that trust his heart and to trust his goodness. I want you to look at this truth on the screen. It says this, humanity's fall into sin began with man's rebellion against God. When man didn't trust the goodness of God, it all began to go wrong. Let me read that again. Humanity's fall into sin began with man's rebellion against God. When he didn't trust the goodness of God, that's when it all began to go wrong. And so this epic story, this epic Genesis story, uh, in Genesis chapter 3 we're going to look at this morning, teaches us a lot of life lessons. And I want to look at just three things. Three things that it teaches us about sinful man's sinful rebellion that's found here in Genesis 3. What we can learn from that and take with us maybe this morning. Here's the first thing. Rebellion leads to distrust. I want you to, to notice what Satan does here in the very, the very first part of the story. He's disguised as a serpent, and he uses distrust to deceive Adam and Eve. The initial temptation here was to question God's word. The initial temptation here is to doubt, is to question God. It's to, it's to look at God and go, hmm, I've got to make a decision. How much do you really care about me? Are you telling me the truth? Are you good? Are you holy? Should I trust you? It, really, that's what it boils down to. In, in, in the very beginning, Adam and Eve had to look at their relationship with God and go, do I trust you enough to listen to you? Here's how it goes. You guys have read this story, know this story, heard this story before. You've maybe read it recently. I want to read it to you this morning. Genesis chapter 3. The serpent was the shrewdest of all the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And one day he asked the woman, Again, right again, right here at the very beginning, when someone reads this, if, if someone's a new Christian or not a Christian, they open up Genesis 3, and it's like, well, we hit them right early on in Genesis, like, all right, we got this snake talking, right, to this lady. And, and here it is. This, he asked this woman, did God really say you must not eat the fruit, the fruit from any of the trees in the garden? And Eve says, of course, of course we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden. It's only the fruit from the tree in the middle of the garden that we're not allowed to eat. God said, you must not eat it or even touch it, and if you do, you will die. Verse 4, you won't die, the serpent replied to the woman. God knows that your eyes will be opened as soon as you eat it, and you will be like God, knowing both good and evil. Verse 6 says, the woman was convinced. It didn't take much, right? It didn't take much for Satan to convince her. She saw that the tree was beautiful and that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. And so she took some of the fruit, and she ate it. And then she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate it too. And at that moment, their eyes were opened, and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. And so they sewed fig leaves together and they, to cover themselves. I want you to notice exactly what, what, what Satan does here at the very beginning of this. Notice what, how he introduces doubt into their conversation right off the top. Did God really say, right? Did, did God really say that? Are you sure? Did you hear him right? Did he really say that? Are, are you serious? Would he really say that? Would he truly say that to you and, and not allow you to eat from this delicious, the fruit from this delicious tree? Notice how the serpent twists God's words. Did, did he really say not to eat from any tree? He, 
Satan, he, he loves to trick us, right? And he loves to twist God's words and twist God's, God's ideas. And, he, and he, he tries to do that here. He, he tries to suggest that if God is withholding anything from Eve and for, from Adam, then he must be withholding everything. If he's trying to withhold this from you, like what is he trying to hide? What's behind this rule? What's behind this, this law? What does God not want you to know or understand? There's got to be more to it. And so this doubt and this deception creeps in to Eve's mind. The serpent magnified the one rule that God gave and ignored all the freedom that they'd been given. You notice that? You ever thought about that? Like, here's what Satan does. He hones in on this one rule and says, come on, this is like the one thing. Like, you know you want some, some fruit from this tree. Look at it. Look how delicious it is. Look how beautiful. Like, you, you know you got to have this, right? And he ignores, and in that moment, Eve ignores, and Adam ignores. They ignore everything else that God's given them. They ignore the relationship. They ignore the creation. They ignore the, the beauty, the per perfection of all of this. And in that moment, all they can focus on is this one thing that God said, don't touch that tree. Stay away from that tree. And everything's going to be great. Have you ever had a child say to you, maybe as, a, as you're a parent or a grandparent, you never give me anything. Right? You ever had kids say that? You, you never give me anything. And you're looking at them going, well, kid, I gave you life, first of all. I give, I give, you, I give you a home. I, I, give you, I give you clothes. We take you places. We, we provide for you. We keep you alive by giving you food every day. Right? We give you a lot. But have you ever had that, seen that attitude? Again? You never give me anything. And it's this ignoring what we have and focusing only on the thing that we want this one thing that in that moment we can't have and we want it and all of our attention goes to, toward that i want you to notice this this is the next truth when we focus more on god's boundaries and ignore the freedom that he offers we distort the relationship he wants with us when we focus more on god's boundaries and ignore the freedom that he offers we distort the relationship no, notice that satan's attack started with a question it wasn't a statement, it was a question. His goal was to leave Adam and Eve to doubt God's goodness. However, he followed that question up with an outright lie. Imagine that. Imagine that. Satan is willing to lie to us. And, and he said this to Eve, he said, you won't die. The same attitude of distrust and denial of God's word is the same lie that slithers into our hearts today, isn't it? It's what leads us to dismiss God's commands, God's word. We, we look at them and the world looks at them and go, well, that's optional. It's even impossible to follow some of that stuff. So it's, a, it's at best optional, right? And you're never going to be able to, to do that, follow God's way. So just, did he really mean that? Did he really mean that, that when you're struggling in your marriage that you should fight for it? Did he really mean that? Did, did, he, did he really mean that you should be a generous giver? That, that you should look at the things you've been blessed with and, and give some of those things away? Did he really mean that? Did, did he want you to go without? Did, did God really say that you should for, seek forgiveness and not seek revenge? Did, did God really say you should love your enemies? Love those who persecute you and are really hard to love? Does he really know who, my, who these people are in my life? Like he got if he if he knew these people he wouldn't he wouldn't have told us that right did he really say that? Well, he probably didn't mean it. 
And so we fall into this temptation of, of, of doubting, and it leads to, to this being lied to by Satan. At the heart of temptation is the lie that we cannot trust the goodness of God or the real, reliability of his word. Satan wanted Adam and Eve to think that they were missing out, that God was withholding happiness for them. And so Eve took the fruit and Adam followed. A simple act of disobedience carried an unimaginable consequences. And I want you to look at this. Look at what transpired. What transpired in the garden, it wasn't a mistake. It, it was rebellion. It was sin. It was deception that led to defiance. And nothing was ever the same. This wasn't just a, a, a mishap. This wasn't just a mistake that Adam and Eve made. This, this wasn't just like, oh, man, we, we forgot, right? They knew exactly what they were doing. And in that moment, they knew they were, they, there was only one rule. There was only one law. So, like, it wasn't a lot of, like, things to have to keep up with. Just stay away from that tree. Don't eat fruit from that tree. That's all you have to do. And so their rebellion is immediately introduced in this situation. Their sin is introduced and in Genesis 3, the world changes. Genesis 1 and 2 is this perfect world that God created. And in Genesis 3, it all falls apart, right? And then today, ever since we've been dealing with a fallen world, a Genesis 3 world. Here's the second thing I think we learned from this story in Genesis 3. Rebellion ruptures our relationships. The fallout from Adam and Eve's sin began immediately. The Bible says that their eyes were opened. They were now conscious of their nakedness, and they were, they were ashamed. They, they felt shame, and, and shame has entered God's good world. God's world that he created that was perfect. Now, has, because of Adam and Eve's sin, because of their rebellion, because of their disobedience, they've introduced something into the scenario that God did not intend. Let's look at how this changed things between God and his children in, in that moment. Look at verse 8. It says, when the cool evening breeze, remember I was talking before that the Bible, uh, Genesis 3, indicates that, that there was this kind of opportunity for them to kind of meet and to talk and to walk. And here's kind of where we have, we have to read between the lines. I'll grant you that. But, but right here in, in verse 8, it says, when the cool evening breezes were blowing, the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden. They, they hear the footsteps. They hear like, oh, there, there's God again, like walking in the garden. And, and it, you know, every, every other night up until this point, they'd been there. And, and look at what happens here. So they hid from the Lord among the trees. When the Lord called to them and he said to the man, he said, where are you? It, it, it's like, hey, I'm here for our, you know, we, we meet up every night at this time. And we walk and we talk and we spend time together. Where are you guys at tonight? He knows, right? He's God. Where, what happened? Where are you at? Adam replied, I heard you walking in the garden, so I hid. I was afraid because I was naked. Who told you that you're naked? The Lord God asked. Have you eaten from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Rhetorical question, by the way, for God, because he knew. The man replied, it was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Then the Lord God asked the woman, what have you done? The serpent deceived me, she replied. That's why I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the serpent, Because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the animals, domestic and wild. You will crawl on your belly, groveling in the dust as long as you live. 
and I will cause hostility between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. And he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. And then he said to the woman, I will sharpen the pains of your pregnancy and in pain you will give birth and you, and you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you. Before sin, there was no shame and no hiding, nothing to hide. Before their sin, Adam and Eve didn't have anything to hide. They were open and honest and vulnerable and naked and didn't have a care in the world. And as soon as sin is introduced into the picture, as soon as they bring sin into the scenario, it all changes for them and for us. Adam and Eve could be completely vulnerable before God and with each other before, in complete safety. They were fully known, and they were fully loved. And now they're hiding behind trees and in bushes because their eyes have been opened up and they realize that they're naked and they feel ashamed. And so you immediately see how this relationship is broken. This pure, holy, beautiful relationship of Adam and Eve walking along in the garden, spending time with God, the Creator. And God's faithful, and He always shows up. And He shows up this evening, and Adam and Eve are hiding. Why? Because of their sin. You see, God created us to be fully known and fully loved. But what do we do? We choose to hide. We hide from God and we hide from each other. We believe the lie that it's impossible for others to know us, to really know us and to accept us and love us. And we play those same games with God, don't we? It's in our hearts and in our minds that if people really knew, if they really knew me, and knew the things that 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 I think and the questions I have, if they really knew who I am as a person and saw me for who I really am, they, they, wouldn't, they wouldn't accept me. They wouldn't love me. And so we hide those things. We hide them from each other and we hide them from God. We hide. That's why they hid. It's why Adam and Eve hid and it's why we hid. Hiding from God is the sign that our relationship with God has been ruptured. It's been broken. It's been severed. And not just our relationship with God, but our relationship with each other has been shattered too. I want you to look at, go back and, and look at Adam's reply, right? It, it was the woman that you gave me, right? She's the one, she gave me this fruit and I ate it. It's this old blame game. What does Adam do? He, he starts, he's like, God, hey, this wasn't my fault. You gave me this lady and, and like, you know, she's pretty and she's very, like, she's really good with words. And like, she just talked me into it and I just ate it. And like, it's her fault, right? And then he kind of like, he, it's like, you can look at this scenario and it's like, it's almost like Adam's, he's not only blaming Eve, he's, he's blaming God. He's like, God, well, you gave her to me, right? You, you're the one that sent her down here and it's all her fault, right? And so Adam immediately starts to blame other people. He's shaking his fist at God, and he's shaking his fist at Eve. And this relationship is broken, right? You can see how there's trouble in paradise now. And so rebellion ruptures our relationships. Number three, the third thing that we understand and we learn from Genesis 3 story is that rebellion results in destruction. For us to feel the power of the gospel... We must come to grips with the utter destruction that our sin has brought into the world. Look at this truth. Man's rebellion against God not only destroys relationships, but it also shattered the perfect peace of God's good world. 
Verse 17 says, And to the man he said, Since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit command, uh, commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. It will grow thorns and th- thistles for you. Though you will eat of its grain, by the sweat of your brow you will have food to eat until you return to the ground from which you were made. For you were made from dust, and to dust you will return. And then the the man Adam named his wife Eve because she would be the mother of all who lived. And the Lord God made clothing for the uh, animal skins for Adam and his wife. And then verse 22 says, When the Lord God said, Look, the human beings have become like us knowing both good and evil. What if, we, what if they reach out and take from the tree of life and eat it? They will live forever. So the Lord God banished them from the Garden of Eden, and he sent Adam out to cultivate the ground from which he had been made. And after sending them out, the Lord God stationed a mighty cherubim to the east of the Garden of Eden, and he placed a flaming sword that flashed back and forth to guard the way of the tree of life. In this, God reveals the consequences of man's sinful rebellion. God called on humanity, right? He called on humanity and he said, you're going to fill the earth. It is your job to be fruitful and multiply. But now, because of your sin, it's going to be harder. There's going to be consequences. So ladies... Those of you who have have given birth and and know the pain of that, we are reminded when we think about that, back to this story. God said it because of your sin, that that child labor is going to be painful. And then he said, God God said to Adam and Eve, he said, you're going to subdue the earth. It is yours to care for. But he says now because of your sin, because of the consequences of your sin, it's going to be a lot harder. You're going to have to work and you're going to have to sweat. And you're going to have to, you're going to, have to figure some of this out on your own. I'm not just going to provide it all for you in this perfection. The consequences of our sin are great. God called upon on them and he said you're going to have to work much harder. And things are going to be painful. Matt, Matt Carter said this about Genesis 3, about this part of the story. He said, The work God gave us has been invaded by toil, and the beauty of childbirth has been racked with pain. And so then in the middle of all this bad news, in the middle of, of all these, the sin and the consequences of sin, there is this thread of God's mercy and of God's grace. Before casting Adam and Eve out of paradise, God clothed them with animal skins. God provided the covering that Adam and Eve would need for their nakedness. God sacrificed the first blameless animal for man's rebellion. Ever thought about that? That right here in the garden, when when God's ready to send them out, to cast them out of the Garden of Eden, he says, okay, those fig leaves aren't going to last. We're going to have to do something better than that. And so this, this blameless creature in the garden, gives its life to clothe Adam and Eve. I love these words by W.A. Criswell. He says this, Somewhere in the paradise of Eden, the ground drank the blood of the first offering of sin. And from that harmless and blameless creature, a coat was made to cover up the shame and the nakedness of the man and his wife. It's a picture of the covering, the atonement, the washing away of our sins and the sacrificial, sacrificial victim 
on the cross of Calvary. That sacrifice in the Garden of Eden, because of Adam and Eve's sin, was the first sacrifice of many. There would have to be a blood atonement, a sacrificial atonement for man's sins. And for years and years and years later, man would sacrifice animals before the Lord because of their sins. Until one day, until one day when God said, that's not good enough anymore. This just isn't cutting it anymore. There needs to be one atonement. One blood sacrifice for all of mankind, for all of eternity. And that's when he sent Jesus, his son. Because of of sin, Adam and Eve were, were banished from paradise. Their sin separated them from God's presence. There wasn't a way back except through that angel's sword that was flashing there in the garden. There is no way back. Because of your sin, this relationship has been broken. You cannot go back to the garden. That's over. And when we look at our lives, what we realize is because of our sin, the relationship that God has with wants with us and desires for us to have with Him has been broken. Not because of anything God's done, but because of our sin. And there is no way back. Except. Except God had a plan. Except God said, there's, there's a way. It's the way that, that, that I'm going to come up with. It's the plan that I'm going to devise. And it's going to be through the blameless sacrifice of my son, Jesus. The son would be banished by the father so that you and I may be reunited with him. That's the picture of the gospel. Jesus would face the sword so that we could return from exile. Here's my bottom line this morning. Jesus... He undid everything that went wrong in Genesis 3. And he answered the questions that Satan put in our hearts. Jesus undid the devastation of Genesis chapter 3. And he answers those questions. He answers the question, is God good? Can we trust him? Does he have my best interest at heart? And am I just going to have to, in a lot of ways, not knowing the whole picture, not knowing the end of the story, not knowing how this is going to all turn out, am I just going to have to trust Him? Can I trust God? And through Jesus, God answers that question. He's a good Father. And He sent His perfect Son so that you and I could be made whole again could be made new again. That that shame and the guilt of our sins could be cast out forever. And that we would be clothed with His righteousness, with God's perfect righteousness through His Son, Jesus Christ. And that's the story of Genesis 3, a fallen world. Is God good? Can He be trusted? Absolutely. How do we know that that's the truth? How do we know that he answered that that way? All we have to do is look to Jesus and understand what he's done for us. Would you guys pray with me? Lord God, I thank you for today. And I thank you for the opportunity 
that we have this morning to gather in this place as believers, people that love you, want to follow after you. And God, I pray that as we just wrestle with, with our sin and we wrestle with a fallen world and the chaos and the destruction that, that we've caused and we've created because of our sin, we realize that that is not what you want for us. It's not what you wanted for, for us in the beginning and it's not what you want for us now. God, we realize that you have a desire to have an intimate, personal relationship with us. You created us and you want us to know you and you want us to spend time with you and you want us to walk with you in the garden. But because of our sin, we've made that impossible. And that broke your heart. And so you rectified that. You made that right. You came up with a plan, and this plan, the name of that plan was Jesus. And you said to the world, if you'll accept him, if you'll love him, if you'll follow him, if you'll follow in his ways and walk in his ways, I'll accept you. And so, God, I thank you for being a good God when we're not good. God, I thank you for for sending your good son, your perfect son, to this world for people who are not good. God, I thank you. You love us that much. That you just wouldn't leave us helpless and alone, naked and ashamed. But you want to walk with us. You want us to know you. You want to know us. We get to do that through your son, Jesus. God, if there's a person in this room this morning that doesn't know Jesus as their Lord and Savior, God, I pray that they wouldn't leave this place today without accepting him, without understanding what you've done for them. God, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. And it's his name I pray. Amen. Would you guys stand? We're going to sing this song. If you have a decision to make, we'd love to talk to you and pray with you about that. Let's sing. Let's sing about the goodness of God this morning. Yes. 
faithful amen he is good amen there there's somebody this week in this broken chaotic messed up world that needs to know they they need someone to share with them that message that there is a god and he's faithful and he's good He's got something for them. You know that. You know the way to the sun. 
show them that way this week. Hey, just a few quick announcements. Um, don't forget your bag as you leave this morning in the back or in one of the tables. Uh, please take one of those next couple of weeks. Fill those up and bring them back out in the lobby. There will be a crate out there for those. A couple more announcements. Uh, we have our, our Marriage Matters event coming up next this coming weekend. There's a table in the back with all the information if you're interested in, in signing up for that. There's more bags back there if you grab on the way back. You can just kind of go that way and grab a bag on the way out as well, by the way. Um, if you're uh, just checking things out, there's an I'm New wall out there. Hey, thanks for being here today. If you're a visitor, we'd love to connect with you, answer any questions you have about the church. Tomorrow night is Pathways. It is um, at 6 o'clock here. It's different from the normal um, Tuesday night. It's on Monday night, tomorrow night. You can sign up for that either on, online or out at the Next Step area as well. And I also want to mention that Steve Wigington, who's a, a pretty popular speaker around this area, he works with FCA. He's a funny guy, does a lot of really good creative stuff. Uh, he's going to be here for the Marriage Matters night on Saturday night. So a special speaker dinner. It's going to be a fun time. So if you want to be a part of that, make sure you sign up today. Hey, thank you guys for being here. Let's have an incredible week. Let's do what we always say every Sunday before we leave, right? Let's go love God. Let's go love people, and let's change this world. Love you guys. Have a great week.